0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5, continuing to look at the fruit of the Spirit. You can see from this fruit list that we're getting dangerously close to self-control, okay? So y'all be here next week. Don't don't skip out and say 4th of July is the time to let it go. No, it's the time to bring it in, okay? It's self-control next week. This week it's Gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We've looked at those this morning, gentleness, next week, self-control against such things there's no law. So we're almost completed the list, and um, then we'll move back into Ephesians 5 uh, to continue that series, being filled with the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit this morning, looking at what the Spirit does through the subject of gentleness. The Spirit produces gentleness. I wondered as I was meditating on this concept in Scripture, how many of you had this on your bucket list? I don't think I've ever heard on anybody's bucket list they wanted to develop before they died this fruit known as gentleness is especially the way our culture tends to define it define it uh women want a man who is tough and tender we get that but it's interesting when the media comes out the tender side is easily thrown out and we only want the tough side we want the macho guy we want the guy who's who's got a macho swag who's in a razor in his hand, he's pretty confident and cocky and strong and powerful. It seems to be what we're going for, yet we know there's something to tenderness that's, that's needed. I want you to think about two concepts, not just tenderness, but strong and courageous qualities as well. Look at two passages with me real quick. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse six, or, or excuse me, it's, yeah, Matthew five, verse five. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Or you may have a translation that says, "Blessed are the meek." Throughout uh, Scripture, we have it in Galatians five. We have it here. We have it other places. It seems to be synonymous: gentle, meekness, and humility. We're going to see those interchangeable. Uh, meekness. Gentleness, humility. Here Jesus says, blessed are the meek or the gentle. They shall inherit the earth. So uh, meekness, gentleness is extremely crucial for inheriting uh, much. Joshua was the one who led God's people into the promised land and inherited all of that. Notice what it says about him. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And here's Moses' command to him. Joshua 1. Verse 6, 7, and 9. Let me read that. Here's the command. Be strong and courageous. So you're fixing to inherit the land, but he doesn't say blessed you will be if you're meek. No, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Then verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God in no way, uh, when he says blessed are the meek, Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the humble. He in no way is taking off the table strength and courage, power, confidence. So we've got to figure out how these go together because they do in God's mind. God wants us to be strong, and he says, and and very courageous. And primarily, he says, because it's going to be hard to keep the law of God. You have to have have strength and courage to maintain the direct path that I want you on. Uh, You're going to face opposition. Strength and courage is necessary. But so is meekness. So is gentleness. So is the tenderness we often want. So how do we define it? Obviously, I think we need to define it the way God does. I looked up Webster's Dictionary, and it has primary meanings and alternate meanings. The alternate meanings, are, they're kind of okay. But the primary meanings that Webster's Dictionary gives, and those, uh, those are the definitions our culture has bought, the primary definitions are this. Webster defines meek as deficient in spirit and courage, not violent, not strong. Really? Deficient in spirit I hadn't thought about it. No, this is spiritual fullness when you get spiritual fruit. Deficient in spirit, not strong, not courageous. That's how they're defining meek. How does Webster define humility? Insignificant, lacking aggressiveness or self-assertiveness. I don't think I could sell those qualities on anybody. Who would want that? You're not going to put that on your bucket list. They obviously have defined these terms very contrary to the Scripture. So when you see blessed are you who are meek, or the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, you might be struggling with that. Or do you need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, look, I've, prayed for, I've asked for lots of things, but this is not one I want. I don't want to be deficient in spirit. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to lack strength and courage. I think if we were to go to the Holy Spirit and ask, you know, don't give me that, he would say, I don't, I don't intend to give you that. That's the wrong definition. I am producing something in you that's, that's much stronger and much more courageous than you were born with. I'm going to give you Holy Spirit power, but it's going to come with a gentleness, remember back in Joshua, to be subdued to the law of God. Staying with the law of God at all costs will require strength. It will require courage. So think about the, the, God's definition of meekness and gentleness as being subdued. That's the gentle part. Being subdued to the will of God. At all cost. That's what the Holy Spirit produces within us. Um, a, d- a desire to be followers of God's Word. And a strength to follow His Word. At all cost. To, to be gentle in the presence of God. To be gentle in the presence of His Word. To hear, to listen, and to take it in. Let me give you an example of meek and gentle So that you see flesh on this term. You know who the meekest man in all the world was? God tells us it was Moses. Look at Numbers chapter 12 verse 3. So here is our flesh and blood example of what it means to be humble and meek from God's perspective. Numbers 12 verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble. More than any man who was on the face of the earth. So Moses is not just humble. He's not just meek. He is the greatest example that was living and breathing to the people of God at that time out of everybody, non Christian, Christian alike, everyone on the face of the earth. He says, Observe Moses, the most humble, meek character you will run across. God, of course, from his heavenly perspective can see us all and he's evaluated it all and he throws up or exalts Moses with this example. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Let me give you a quick summary of his life. I've picked a few passages that kind of summarize his life. Look at Acts 7, 20 through 24. Here, Stephen is preaching and he uses Moses as an example. So he gives a, just a brief summary. I don't have time to Give you all of Moses' life. But here's, here's the first 40 years of Moses' life in a few verses. Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 20. He says, it was at this time that Moses was born. So he's taking Moses from birth to 40 years real quick. And he was lovely. Hey, like that? He was probably wearing a pink shirt. He was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power. Where's his power? In his words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, He defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Okay, well, you remember the story. Here we got Moses. He grows up as the adopted son of Pharaoh. So he's the king's son. He has everything he could possibly imagine. Everything's afforded to him. He's got the best education, the best clothes, the best lifestyle. He's growing up, you know, he's got his own gym in the palace. He's, he's lifting weights. He's macho. He's strong. He's courageous. The Holy Spirit comes into him and convicts him. You, you're you to be a leader of, of the Hebrews, and you're actually a born Hebrew, even though you've been raised as an Egyptian. So he goes to visit some of his Hebrews, and that, he's a man of great justice. God is put within him the law of God so that he knows right from wrong and he sees somebody being mistreated and there's no judge to judge. He says, I'll take care of this. And he goes and just, bam! You know, bats the guy, kills him, buries him in the sand. Um, and the next day goes again and somebody says, are you going to kill me too? I mean, Moses is strong and powerful. He speaks strong words this is wrong what's happening. And he 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 executes vengeance and justice. As a result of it, Pharaoh finds out his adopted dad and says, You're going against the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said, I better get out of Dodd. So he leaves uh, so that his own dad doesn't kill him. But he's a strong man, very courageous man, fearless man. Remember, God says he's the humblest man on the earth. Let's look at the next 40 years. Look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2, beginning at verse 15. So he leaves Egypt. And uh, the same path, by the way, that uh, he will be coming to lead God's people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, which is in this territory of Midian. And the Midianites were uh, shepherds. He comes to a place there in, uh, in uh, Midian where the shepherds are coming to water their flocks. Exodus chapter 2. This matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Okay, we're the Nelson family. You, you can relate to this, right? All right, they got seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their flock of God, their flock, their father's flock. Then, then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and he helped them and he watched their flock. When they came to rule their father, he said, "Why have you come back so soon today?" So they said, "An Egyptian." So Pharaoh, I mean, excuse me, Moses even still looked like an Egyptian, probably wearing all the Egyptian garb. And so they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him, you know, invite him home for supper to eat some bread. Now think about just what what just happened here. Moses has gone to a foreign land, land of Midian. Doesn't know anybody. Sits beside a Well. He's just resting, and these shepherd girls come up to water their flock. Now, in the old days, you know, you had a well with a bucket, you, you you lower it down, you bring it back up, and if you got a bucket, I don't know how big the bucket is, but however much you could hold in this bucket, you can't water a whole flock of sheep. Like, come on, sheep, dip your head in a bucket. So they had a trough, they would build troughs right by the well, you know, long thing, and They'd empty the the water into the trough. And when the trough gets filled up, and I don't know how long it would have been, the flock sees the water and they'll come and and drink. And if any of you have ever had a wooden boat, you know, it takes a while to fill that boat up with water before the sides shrink and it doesn't leak anymore. The trough's this way too. You know, they're filling it up. It takes a lot of water to, to fill it up, it's a lot of work. There's some. Men shepherds to just kind of wait, let those girls do the work. After the trough is filled up, they run the girls off and the girls' sheep off, and then they bring their flocks in. Say, ha 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 ha, you know, cool. Well, Moses is off to the side looking at this and said, Not on my watch. Well, who are you? You're a farmer. I'm the man in charge. You know, he goes to those guys, bam, 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 you want to. You want to fight on this? I'll take you on. I don't know how many he was taking on. Again, you see this passion for the law of God, for justice, for what's right. And he's fought off every single shepherd that wanted to take the water from the shepherd girls. So that he says, you just go ahead. He's this man in shining armor. He's this man of great strength and power. And dad says... Girls, why are you home so early? Because they were doing this every day, watering the whole territory's flock. They said, well, we met the most wonderful man in the world. I mean, he fought off everybody for us. And Jethro immediately says, there's seven of you. Does not one of you want to get married? Why didn't you bring him home? It's interesting that several times... Dating is kind of mentioned. Here's their, their first date, you know, at the well. Uh, it's, it's the girls that are bringing the, ga- the, the guys to the dad and saying, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Well, one of those daughters actually does marry Moses. Jethro gives one of his daughters to him, and he settles in that region. But again, we're looking at the characteristic of humility and gentleness. And God has lifted Moses as the example of that. God does not want a sissy church. So when he says, he says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, church, act like men. Be strong in the Lord. When he says, blessed are the meek and the gentle, he's not saying cease being strong. Cease being courageous. Not at all. But rather he's, He's talking to us about our need to be subdued to the law of God. It's something the non-Christian is not going to have. It's not going to have that fruit of gentleness before God, humility before God. Have you ever um, been to uh, someone's house, where and they had this uh, aggressive dog that had just teeth. You know, it's just all teeth, and, and they're barking at you, and it's like... They're saying, lunch, you know, ah. And they're just scaring you to death. And the owner comes up and says, heal. And immediately that dog comes and sits quietly beside the owner. It's like, whoa, what just happened? Great strength, but such gentleness, so subdued. And that's the fruit the Holy Spirit is producing in His people. That we're, we're humble. We're gentle. We're subdued to the will of our Master at all costs. It doesn't diminish our strength or courage. But it takes us right to where we need to be saying, Master, I await w- your command. I'm I'm humble before you. I'm gentle to do what you say. It's not a fighting with God, but it's a fighting to keep God's law and His standard, regardless of the cost. You know what? You could think about what kept Christ on the cross. Christ was tough, and He was a captain of angelic forces. And He, he even says in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, I, I can call down troops of angelic forces, And deal with the soldiers that are coming to get me. He said, it's not that I lack power. It's not that I lack ability. What kept Christ going to the cross? What kept Christ on the cross? Tough men can do things. And as tough as Christ was, as the miracle worker that he was. I think what kept him there was his gentleness. Father, I've come to do your will. And I will be subdued to that will. And I've come not only to to obey my father, I've come to care for my people tenderly, compassionately. So this, this characteristic that the Spirit wants to produce in us, I think it's a, a chief characteristic of Christ that kept him faithful to his passion to be our Savior, our sacrifice uh, hanging there on the cross. So that's what it is. It's not how any dictionary is probably going to define it, but it's it's the way God describes it and defines it for us. So how can we how can we develop it? I I, I said, well, let's just try to put flesh and bones on it for us in different contexts. And context I've uh, put before you this morning is, first of all, just out in the world, when you're you're in a non-Christian environment, how do you maintain uh, gentleness? And humility. Uh, you're facing opposition. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to read verses 10 through 18. Here's the context. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, I don't know some of your opposition. You know, Maybe somebody's accusing you of things falsely. Uh, as an innocent person, you're hearing people say you're not doing your job, man, or you're no good. You're a cheat. You're a liar. of this is true, of course, for God's saints, but you're being accused of it, or people are stealing from you uh, things they shouldn't be taking, uh, your property in some fashion, and they're walking away. You're on the bad end of being bullied, or you're in school, and People are putting you down constantly. You're being bullied. How do you deal with that? You want to be strong and courageous, and yet you want this ingredient of humility. Look at First Peter 3, beginning at verse 10. It says, "...for the one who desires life to love and see good day, de, days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good." He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify, that means to set apart, Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Everything I've been talked about, I've been talking about is just summed up there. It says you haven't died yet, but you need to be willing to die. You need to be willing to do good until death. Christ did that. He says we need to be doing that. We need to respond to, to evil accusations, things that happen to us with gentleness and reverence. And it gives us so much encouragement there, remembering God loves you for this fruit. God listens to you. He hears your prayers. He doesn't hear the prayers of the sinner who's accusing you. I've often thought when people have accused me falsely, I said, hmm. I don't guess you're going to listen to me for this, but I'm thinking in my mind. uh, It's not going to go well for you. One of the reasons is because God's going to be hearing my prayers. He's not going to be hearing your prayers. By just turning away from you, by turning away from evil, by not giving evil for evil, by continuing to pursue peace, by continuing to seek God's law in this matter, not yours, but doing it in a peaceful, gentle fashion, God blesses and rewards me. But the others, it's not going to go well for them. God's going to execute vengeance on them. So, the, the, you know, you say, well, God, they deserved it. I needed to knock their lights out. You know, God says, I'll take care of that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. As much as possible with you, be at peace. Try, try to deal in this situation in a very gentle and humble way. Keep the law of God. Even keep the law of God to death. But be careful to be gentle and peaceful as much as possible for yourself. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Another uh, example of this that may also lead to your accuser's uh, salvation. Second Timothy 2, verse 25. Let me start at verse 24. It says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So as people accuse us falsely, as people come against us, as much as possible, we need to respond with gentleness. And that kindness, that contrary response, not the response they're used to, may just lead them to salvation. You remember Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. As much as possible, when people are mad at us, respond to them with a gentle answer. Uh, Respond to them that way and God will bless let me give you a few other passages. There's a lot on this subject. James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Wow, what a, what a great passage. Which one's smart? Who, who, who's smart and who's dumb in here? The smart people will respond. God says... With gentleness of wisdom. There needs, needs to be that. Um, and uh, it goes on, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Now, we, we need to kill the sin, be gentle with what's right. And then, chapter uh, 3 of Titus, Titus 3, the first couple of verses it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers. To authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So it's the worldly context. When you're out in the world, we should, should be the people of great consideration, gentleness, and kindness towards others. All right, let's take it back to a Christian context. Let's suppose we're in the church and we, we see people who are wandering away. And they need correction. That's a time for strength and courage, right? Well, even there, God gives us commands to be gentle. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. You hopefully know this verse. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Uh, The church is not to be a place where we kick our wounded. Since somebody's going astray, they're off course. Restore them, but do it gently. Do it with great tenderness and kindness. Uh, There should be no abuse in the home, in the Christian home. There should be no abuse between spouses. If your spouse is off course, you don't fight. You you seek to restore that one to the standard, to the law, with, with gentleness, with tenderness. That's not the time to be tough. There's times for being tough, but this is a time for being tender and gentle. Um, when people in the church are going off course, yeah, we want us to all be consistent with God's Word, but we, we, we seek to... to to admonish with great tenderness. Um, you know, it's amazing sometimes if I don't preach on hell often. I mean, it comes up in different sermons. But my goal is not to blast people with hell and fire uh, stone sermons, brimstone sermons. Um, but if if the scripture demands it, if there's times when I must be bold and courageous and, and just let you have what you're missing, then I should do it with, with tears in my eyes. I should do it with tenderness. When I, and and I, I pray to God for this. God, help me to see when people are really missing it. Help me to see not how bad they are, but help me to see how sad their condition if they're waltzing into the pits of hell and they don't even know it, that's so sad. So even when you're giving the truth that needs to be given boldly and courageously, it should be should be given to us with with, with gentleness and tenderness. Um, not to show you who's right or wrong, but to help you be restored to a position of of what's right um, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, here's, here's a place we, we're going to get back to in Ephesians um, the first three verses Ephesians 4 says therefore I, I the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility, humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, that's what God wants from us, is to, to really be tolerant of one another and to love one another. Um, the, the world is good at abusing themselves. The church should be really good at healing one another, being gentle and tender to one another. We imitate the world when we lose this. We need this fruit of the Spirit, when we wonder, when the world is accusing us falsely, and then I, I, I can't give you these contexts without the very important context of the Word of God. The if you're not growing in the Lord, gentleness might be your problem, because gentleness is the fruit necessary to receive the will of God. Gentleness is this fruit is is. Adhering to the Word of God at all costs. It's being under, subdued to, to your Master and His Word. Look at James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. This is talking about receiving the Word of God. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness... And all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That's the only way you can receive the word, is in humility. If you're not growing in God's word, maybe you've not been praying for this fruit. God, the only way I know I can receive your word is humbly. I, I, I have to be able to say to God, God, tell me what I need to hear, I'll do it no matter what. When you get to that place, the master is ready to give you his truth. He's wasting his time. He's not going to throw his pearls before swine. He's not going to throw out just the deep things of God's word if you're not interested in them, if you're not going to keep it, if you're not going to follow it. But you come before God humbly and say, God, I'm going to sit at your feet and I'm going to do what you say. God says, hmm, Here's receive the word. And he gives you the word. Many times we are not growing because of this lack of humility. Humbly being before God. It's a fruit we need. We need it to receive the word. We need it also to give out the word to our kids, our family, um, to one another. Let's see what the scripture says about that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 10. 1 and 2. So the, the Word of God comes in and it flows out. And here's Paul's example. Second Corinthians 10, 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I purpose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. There's Paul's example. He says, you know, when I'm with you, you know I'm gentle. You know I'm tender. I really want to help you all out. I don't mind writing some pretty bold things. When I come, I'll make some distinctions. People who need to have justice, they need somebody to hit them, I'll hit them. But at the same time, he says, I'll be so gentle and so meek because... I want you to get what God says. And that was the example of Paul. He, he says, I will give you the word of God with humility and meekness. It's God's word. You have to receive it that way. He says, I have to give it that way. That's, I just want you to get a sense of how essential this fruit is for living the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life in the world without the fruit of meekness. You can't live the Christian life in the church without this fruit of meekness. You can't get God's Word or give out God's Word without this fruit of meekness. So it ought to be on our bucket list. It ought to be one of those things we we seek from God. God, give me humility. Give me meekness. How do we get it? Uh... It's demanded of us. I want you to see it in the life of Christ and in our ministry. Look at Matthew 11, and I'll turn, turn to this a couple times. I want you to just let this soak in a little bit. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, this key passage you've heard probably every preacher say once uh, that you've heard. Matthew 11, 28, come to me. This is Jesus talking. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. And notice the characteristic Christ pulls out to describe himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I think the the yoke here that uh, God's talking about is his own law, his own will, uh, his own word. He says, come to me. He says, I'll help you out learn from me and the first thing he mentions what I want you to learn I am gentle I am meek uh, he has all power yet he's gentle and he's meek uh, we we need to see that that if are you being conformed to the image of Christ then you should be growing in gentleness in meekness in humility because, Christ is the supreme, humble, meek, gentle. He surpasses Moses. He's the greater meek example he's given to us. And we are to be like him, to grow into his humility. Um, God says those are the people he hangs around with, the people who are humble and meek. In uh, Psalm 25, verse 9, you have that... um, that description of God's people, hanging around with him. Verse 9 says, he leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. Again, you just see, you're probably not growing if you're not thinking about humility. Those are the people God directs and leads. Uh, For ministry, we must be gentle and tender towards others, or they're not going to listen to us. Now, Let's develop this a little bit further. As I think of, okay, I see I need it. I see how, why I need it. It's crucial. How do I develop it? I'm not sure we're going to get humility and meekness into our life until we have a godly perspective. As long as we come at this subject from the world's eyes, from their definition, we're going to just keep seeking the macho man. The macho man has strength and courage, but he also has Pride. He has this cockiness that I'm going to do it my way. He's not thinking of God's way. God's people are saying, I've got the strength and the courage, but I've got humility and gentleness and that is doing it God's way. Not my way, never my way. God's way. So the perspective needs to be, you need to have a perspective that God's way is supreme. God is supreme. He is sovereign. And you've got to have a perspective on self. I'm a sinner. Prone to stray. I need to always be brought back to God's way. If we're going to develop this fruit, we must have the right perspective on God's sovereignty. And we need to have the right perspective on our depravity. That I am nothing without God. That will enable me to, well if I'm nothing without God, then let me sit at the feet of God. Let me learn from him. Let me grow from him. And then you begin to develop this fruit. The people who are missing this fruit, there's probably some problem between your ears here, this perspective that that you really haven't grasped how sovereign God is or how depraved you are. Gaining that perspective enables us to grow in this needed fruit. Uh, Everything I have in life, I have by grace. God has sovereignly given it to me. I didn't deserve it. It takes away the cockiness. It takes away the pride. So I can humbly sit before God and receive his word. So develop that perspective that what we have, we have by God's grace. I'm never self-sufficient. I'm always dependent in need of God and his gifts. Second, let's pray. Let's ask God for it. This is something He wants to give us. So let's pray for it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is... A principle all through scripture. God will exalt the humble. He'll bring down the proud. God's opposed to the proud. Doesn't work through the proud. He works through the humble. Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth in his day. God chose him to work through him. And you you can start looking at that. Moses saying, God, I'm nothing. Without me, you're nothing. Okay, let me work through you. And God works through Moses. He lifts him up as the leader. He's strong and courageous. But he brought down those who are proud. Pharaoh and his army. Uh, God does the same today. Those who are proud and cocky and overconfident in themselves. They will be destroyed. But God's people will be exalted. Because we have this fruit known as humility. God wants to give and give. And give to those who sit at his feet and say, Lord, I want to hear your word. I want to do life your way. Those are the people God wants to bless. That's humility. Third, uh, just keep your eyes on the copy. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Our new example of humility is Christ Himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ came and dwelt among us, took on flesh, humbled himself to be a man. He humbled himself to sit at the Father's feet and do what God says, even to the point of death on a cross. I'm I'm not a very creative, original artist. I can't come up with anything. I need to look at something else. If I want to give you a copy of something, it's better that I keep my eyes on the copy. You know, and I, 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 can, I can trace it off, I can follow things in front of me. With, with everything I do, I, I'm always looking for somebody who's done it before me so I can copy. And the, the more I focus on the copy, the better I can copy. The same is true in life. The more I look at Jesus, he, He's the exact representation of the Godhead. And he's humble to the point of death. He kept God's word at all cost. The more I look at Jesus, the more I can be humble and meek and gentle regardless of what comes my way. And the same is true for you. Keep your eyes fixed on him who is humble and gentle. He says, just keep coming to me because I'm, I'm gentle. I'm humble, and you will learn what you need to learn that's going to give you rest. <coughs> As we think about communion this morning, I want us to go back and think about Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Because in this passage, we have an invitation, just like the invitation to come to this table or have this table come to you. And it says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Do you have problems? I do. Do you ever get weary? I do. Do you ever need rest? He says, take my yoke. Wait, I don't want one more thing to do. He says, no, 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 take it. I want you to take my word. He says, I'm gentle. I'm humble. I've taken it. It's good for me. I want to give it to you. He says, it's not, you feel like it's going to be one more burden. He says, it's not going to be one more burden. He said, the burden's light. Doing life God's way is not going to be one more burden. And every time we're invited to this table, God is saying, take and eat. Take and drink. And you can say, that's one more thing. No, this is nurture. This is grace. This is gently given to rest you. It gets you away from this world perspective that you have to do life on your own. Do life God's way with Jesus. As we come to the table this morning, remember that's what he's talking about. I want to redeem you. I want to rest you. I want, I want to take away your sins. I want to take away your burdens. Yes, I have to give you something. I have to give you the law. I have to give you my word. I have to give you my spirit. But it's not something that's going to burden you. It's something that's going to rest your soul. Take of this meal this morning to be rested in Christ. To be humble and gentle as he is humble and gentle. Let's, let's pray together. Father, as we come before your meal to just see this scripture applied in our lives. That we need the fruit of the spirit which is gentleness and meekness and humility. Let us remember we're coming to Christ as we take of this bread and this wine. And let us remember that this is the characteristic He exalted that we needed. Humility and gentleness to receive Him. Father, let us forsake our pride. Let us forsake that cockiness. Let us forsake that that selfishness that thinks we can do life without You. Let us turn from all sin. Forgive us now. Have mercy upon us. Cleanse us. Let us be restored in Christ. Let us become gentle and meek, always sitting at your feet to respond to you in whatever way you direct. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We ask to be nurtured in the humble and meek life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.